0: The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Hey, uh, let's get rolling. Uh, My name's Spencer, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you, but man, I know so many of you guys, this is is an awesome weekend for us because, man, not only are we able to just speak to men about leading well and about the scriptures, but you know... uh, there's so many guys that we know and love and it's just an awesome weekend to have all y'all together. So uh, hey in this first breakout session we're going to have I think four today, four breakout sessions that are going to cover a variety of topics. This first breakout session we wanted to have all the guys in here because it's such a crucial topic and it really what we're going to talk about this morning is studying the scripture and then turning around and teaching that to your family. Now Uh, Some of you guys are not in the family stage, whether you're pre or post family, but I think these things apply to the next generation because for you guys to finish well means pouring into the next generation, for real, no matter what stage of life you're at. So, um, man, you might think, man, we're going to learn about studying the Bible. Man, I've been studying the Bible for 20 years, 40 years. Yeah, but a lot of times, man, we get off track. You, you think about what we're studying with the life of David. You know, tonight what we're going to look at is, y'all know David at the end of his life, he goes wild. Like he goes off the rails. Where at this point in his life, before he goes anywhere, he's like, God, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? Do you want me to go here? I'll go wherever you lead me. And towards the end, he's like, I think I'll just chill at the house. I think I'll just hang out here. Where he's departed from this close fellowship with Yahweh, same with Uzzah, you know, he, he knows he's a Kohathite, he knows that the rules, y'all remember last night, he reaches out and touches the ark, and you know, there's a departure from this closeness with the Lord, there's a departure really from the scriptures, because these things are written for their instruction. Man, so for us, I, I just want to read a passage real quick, this is the closest thing we get for how to study the Bible in the Bible. This is Joshua chapter 1. Now, to give a little bit of context, Joshua is a military leader. He's about to go kill 31 kings in Canaan. And this is the instruction God gives him to a military leader. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel, Every place the sole of your foot will tread, I've given to you just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates. All the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now he's going to give instructions to how a leader, in this case a military leader, the leader of God's people is supposed to act. But I want you to notice how much emphasis he puts on Scripture. How little emphasis he puts on how to win the battles and how much he puts on Scripture. Be strong and courageous. You'll cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left so you can have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, and be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll find success. When, when God has given commands to a military leader of his people, he emphasizes the word. Study of the word and obedience to the word. Man, for us, if, y'all know, if you want to grow, if you want to lead your family well, if you want to fight sin, you must be a man of the word you must be saturated in the scriptures, or what are we even doing here? You know, I I, want to teach on how to study the Bible, and for most of us, it's like, man, I know how to study the Bible, but yeah, and and really teaching someone how to study the Bible is partly silly, because you think studying the Bible really is a lot like learning how to ride a bike, right? How do you learn how to ride a bike? I I taught my son how to ride his bike. I did probably what y'all did with y'all's kids. I went and ordered some videos and we watched these videos on how to ride a bike. We got spreadsheets. And, you know, I ordered this book on, like, proper shin angle and pedaling technique, you know. And so we kind of went through these seminars. And, you know, once we kind of graduated from this, like, I put him on a bike. And I was like, let's roll, baby. You, now you know how to study or how, to, how to ride a bike. And, you know, he crashed. And so, no, you know, how, how do you learn how to ride a bike? You ride a bike. And you screw up. And you screw up, and you screw up, and then you screw up a little less, and then a little less, and a little less, and, and you're riding. The best way to learn how to ride a bike is just to get on and ride. And I'd say the best way for you to learn how to study the Bible is just to start studying the Bible. You need to read the Bible. Most of us, most, most of us at this point don't need a teacher, we just need to do it, we just need to obey. Our, our issue isn't, hey, I, I need a better method for studying the Bible. Our issue is we need to just obey and read the Bible. Many of you guys are. Many of you are faithful students of the Word. But, you know, even if you are, you know, some of y'all are going to do, do the shooting training. You know, these guys came down from Virginia, so gracious, man, leaving their families and their jobs to come down here and, well, not permanently, of course, but, like, temporarily come down here and help us out. And, you know, what they're going to teach you in the shooting training is they're going to go back to the basics, How are you gripping the gun? What are you looking at? How's your presentation? It's not going to be some way down the line advanced techniques. It's going to be back to the basics. That's where you get good. And I I can see when when we did some shooting training yesterday with them, I can see where I've gotten sloppy in a lot of the basics. So I want to go back. And even if you are studying the Bible, maybe you've gotten sloppy, maybe you've gotten undisciplined and I want to go through just a quick how to and then translate that to how do we lead our families in the word so really uh, we look at how to study the Bible and again I think we know the importance but just just to give a quick commercial for that man at this point in your life at this point in our culture with these temptations fellas like an our daily bread moment on the back of the toilet like that ain't going to cut it anymore. For real. There, there's nothing wrong with that. I love that devotional. It's great. But that's a snack. Y'all need to eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, really, growth is a, is a process of the Holy Spirit through through His Word in Christians. But it's not passive for us. For Getting older doesn't mean you get more mature. Being a Christian for a long time doesn't necessarily mean you're growing. And so... I think, really, we know we should, but some of us aren't studying the Bible. So Some of us aren't studying the Bible, but really studying the Bible is easy. It really is. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. Most of the books in the New Testament, you can read in the span it takes you to watch an episode on Netflix. And it's so accessible. It's on your shelf. It's in your pocket. It's, I mean, it's on your tablet. It's everywhere you go. But most folks don't study the Bible. Why not? You know, some folks will say, I don't study the Bible because, man, it's so complex. I just don't understand what I'm reading. Or they'll say, it's just, it's too boring. Like, I just can't get into it. You know, I'm into other stuff. I just can't really get into studying the Bible. Why is that? For for those that think the Bible is really complex or really boring, I think it's because we study really badly. You know, we, we, we study the Bible like we study no other book. You know, we go to read it. What other book do we do this? Hey, man, I just bought this new book. I'm really excited about it. Right here. We don't do that. Um, when a man or woman has a disease on the head or beard, the priest shall examine the disease. And if the hair is deeper than the skin and the hair in its yellow and thin, then a priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Yeah. <laughs> that was an awesome passage. Uh, I wish I could find it again. Um, but you know, we study the Bible like an idiot. Seriously, what book do you read like uh, the point-and-shoot method? What movie do you watch even like that? You, you know, if we watch a movie like that, we'd be like, this movie's confusing. Or, this movie's boring. Wait, well, No, you're an idiot. Like, And so we can't look at the Bible and be like, Lepers, it's this thing so confusing. No, you're an idiot. Like, you're (laughs) studying it really badly. But I think for most of us, the the issue isn't necessarily our method. It's that we don't plan. We don't plan to study the Bible. We just kind of wing it. You know, we plan for everything in life. As men, you plan for your finances. You plan for your family. You plan for your work, your projects, your hobbies. Do you plan for studying the Bible? Do you know when and where you're going to study, where where you're going to sit down? Do you know what you're going to study? Let me give you a tip. If you're a rookie, if this is your rookie season in studying the Bible, let me give just a quick tip. One of the things that really changed my life is when I started studying the Bible, one book at a time, slowly start to finish. And when you're done with that, start a new one. That's it. And you think about, well, how fast or how much should I read in a day? Don't, don't sweat that. Just go slowly. Go slow enough to understand it. Because a lot of us read too fast to really grasp and meditate on it. Like, uh, let's put up that verse in Philippians. Philippians two twelve through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have al- always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, that was so good. Yeah, we didn't get much out of that at all, right? We barely hit the words. But h- how often are we guilty of that? We skim and summarize. We fly through a verse just to get it done, and then we have no clue what it said. If we shut the Bible after that and say, "All right, man, what'd you learn? What'd you get out of that? What'd you see about God?" We'd be like, "I had no idea, man. I, for real, right now, I truly don't remember what that verse just said." But we read it that pace. We skim and summarize. How slow should you go reading the Bible? You need to go slow enough to understand it. Let me just give you some tips. I want to give four tips. Uh, but it's interesting that there, in the whole Bible, there's no passage that teaches us how to study the Bible. So the best way to learn how to study is by studying. Let me give you this quote, though, by a guy named David Mathis that I think is really helpful, and it will guide our four tips. Uh, so he says this. There's a place for raking, as in raking leaves. There's a place for raking in Bible reading. Gathering up the leaves at a swift pace. But when we dig in Bible study, we unearth the diamonds. And then in meditation, we marvel at the jewels. You get that? There's a place for raking in Bible reading and gathering up the leaves at a swift pace. But when we dig in Bible study, we unearth diamonds. And then in meditation, we marvel at the jewels. So I want to give four tips kind of out of that quote about how to study the Bible. Number one sometimes when you're reading the bible you're raking in leaves all right sometimes you got to rake the leaves what i mean by this what i mean is this morning and yesterday morning and the morning before my bible study looked like raking in the leaves like raking in the leaves y'all all all have done this right i grew up in columbus georgia so there were no leaves to rake up it was all pine straw but when i moved up here it is raking leaves and i've never owned a rake until i lived up here but raking leaves is it hard or easy (laughs) Uh, it's super easy. You know, they're about this thick. And if you stay on top of it, it's just like, does it take a long time? No, you cover a ton of ground because it's it's pretty shallow, right? You cover a ton of ground quickly and it's not hard work. So the last few mornings I've raked in the leaves, which is I've read through the story of, of David. I've just been reading through about him and Saul and Jonathan and just reading through. I'm gathering in the leaves at a swift pace because those portions of the Bible, especially the narrative portions, the big stories, those allow you to move at a faster pace, right? If it says, and David walked up the hill, you don't have to be like, all right, what does the Hebrew say here for hill? It's a hill. Let's go. You know, like keep on moving. We can move at a fast pace. So sometimes you can rake in the leaves. You need to do this often. You need to read large chunks of Scripture so it saturates into your brain. But the second point is, some places you can't rake in the leaves, you got to dig. you got to go deeper into one passage, just like digging a hole. You're not covering a lot of ground and moving kind of fast. you got to dig in one verse or two verses. Dig. So go, w- let's put that verse back up on the board. Philippians 2.12 and 13. Is this a raking verse or a digging verse? It's a dig, right? You can't fly through that like David walked up the hill. you gotta, you got to dig here. you got to stop in one or two verses in one spot and go a bit deeper. So as we go through, we're thinking about who wrote this, who they wrote it to, and what, is it, what exactly is it saying? Therefore, my beloved, those that I love, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is it in my presence but much more in my absence, Hey, I watched you obey while I was there. Now keep obeying now that I'm gone. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We hate to see work and salvation in the same sentence. What is it saying? It's going to explain it in the next verse where it says, Because God is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What, What is this verse saying? You work, but it's really God who's working in you to make you want to do, to will, and do to work according to his good pleasure, what he wants you to do. You need to work, but it's really God who's working in you. He's changing you from within. He's changing your wants to where you want to do, and you start doing what he wants you to do. I mean, that is just a little bit of digging, and you start to get a lot out of this verse. Imagine if you go deeper and deeper into the, this verse, you really you unearth the diamonds here. There are some places, y'all know if you're digging like up here, there's tons of creek rock everywhere, so I tried to dig out near my house, and some places it's easy, and some places it's just rock, 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 and you got to get one of those pry bars and different tools to kind of dig. So there's some passages, where you go to that Philippians 2.17, there's some passages like this, where you know you got to, there's a digging verse you got to dig in, but some places, no matter how much you sit and think, you're not going to get it. Because it's in another culture, you know? Like this says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Well, what's a drink offering? If you've never studied this, you're not going to get it just by thinking. It's not just going to be like, into your head you got to get a different sort of tool. It's time to go for the digger bar. This is where something like a commentary can really help you. And this is where your pastor can can, uh, alley you to to a good commentary series or a good author that writes a solid commentary. Because what you have in a commentary is basically a commentary makes comments on the book you're studying. So you got a super nerd that knows the original languages and the culture and can tell you what is a drink offering. What even is that? Because you'll just be stuck on that. So sometimes you're raking the leaves. Sometimes you're digging. And when you're digging, sometimes you got to get a different tool, a study Bible, a commentary. Now, for you men, you need to mix. You need to sometimes be raking. You need to sometimes be digging. And you'll figure out by practice when to do which one. Step three, no matter if you're raking or digging, step three is you need to meditate. You need to meditate on the scripture. man. so often we'll read the Bible, close it up, and head to our to-do list. I'm guilty of this so often. But we don't meditate on the scripture. Look at what God says to Joshua again in Joshua 1, 7 through 9. He says this, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you can be careful to do it. Meditate, meditate, meditate. That's not not something weird and mystical. It's just the words for chew or repeat. like It's just repeating it, just thinking about it. Dale Davis says this, constant careful absorbing of the word of of God leads to obedience to it. Lack of study results in lack of obedience. Uh, Thomas Watson, he said this, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word. Pause. You ever felt like that? You leave the word and you're just like, I got nothing. I'm being obedient. I don't know. He says, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we don't warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. We don't warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. Meditation, thinking about it, repeating, chewing on it, muttering it. It's all throughout scripture. Psalm 1, 1 through 4. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, constantly. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in a season. The leaf doesn't wither, and all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like the chaff the wind drives away. So sometimes you're raking, sometimes you're digging. You might need a different tool. Whether you're raking or digging, you need to meditate on the scriptures. And the fourth point is you need to obey it. You need to obey the word. It's not enough to be a hearer of the word. You've got to actually be a doer. Or you're like a guy that goes and looks in a mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What are we doing if we're not obeying the word? Obey, obey. That's right. Obey. Joshua 1, when he says this, he says, Be careful to do according to all the law. Don't turn from it to the right or the left so you can have good success. And then the interesting phrase is, Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do it. Lack of meditation may lead to lack of obedience. Here's the formula for Joshua. Obey, obey, speak, meditate, obey. That's what God tells Joshua about the word. Obey it, obey it, speak it, meditate on it, obey it. Man, if God values the word this much, so should we. There's a guy named Crawford Luritz. He said, God's leaders always lead from the word. From the word. Man, so often we read these stories of the Bible or read the letters, and we forget, man, that we are meeting with Yahweh himself, God of the Old Testament, Jesus of the New Testament. We are meeting with God himself. You have that opportunity where the creator is in your living room, This is not some dead piece of literature or art, you know. This this is life. This is the creator speaking to us, man. We get to meet with him. And as a result, we'll start to grow in him, and he's going to start renewing our minds to where we start loving what he loves and hating what he hates. Your mind is going to start to be renewed to value what he really values. If we don't have this, you will drift. You know what I'm saying? You don't drift towards holiness. You got to work for it. What you got to do to be out of shape? You're doing it right now. (laughs) You ate a big meal and sat still for two hours. Like, you got to do nothing. You don't have to do anything to get out of shape. To be in shape, you got to work, work, work. You leave a weed alone and it grows, right? It gets bigger. That's, man, we gotta work, 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 and labor, and holiness, and sanctification. Is God that does the work? Now, don't be legalistic about it. Don't beat yourself up if you meet a, miss a morning. Don't make it super overly emotional. Some mornings it's just gonna feel like brushing your teeth. Some mornings you're gonna read the word and it's gonna be like whoa, and like you're like, man, I never realized this, this is crazy. And some mornings you're gonna read the word and be like, all right. And those mornings, you're just being obedient. That's it. You're being obedient. You're doing the work. It's not always going to feel fantastic. But you're going to be meeting with the Lord, and he's going to be rewriting your hearts. 2 Corinthians says this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What does that verse mean? beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at Jesus, we're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. The more we look at Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. From one degree of glory to another, little by little by little, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God does the work as we work. He's changing our wants from within. Man, the more you look at Jesus, and that happens right here, the more you look like Jesus. So let me just give a a few words then. And we talk about studying the Bible, and it's good to hear practical tips like this, but how do we translate that to our families, to the next generation really? I think it's similar to the bike riding thing. Most of us don't need a tutor here. If you've practiced studying well, you're equipped to teach. You just got to get out of the way. You study, you exegetically study, which means you reach down and pull out what this verse says, you look at it, you see actually what's in there, what these verses are saying. If you are in the practice of doing that, then just turn around and show that to your family and get out of the way. You don't have to create some giant sermon or some huge emotional time for your family. You, you be a study of the word and uh, a student of the word, and you're almost there. Here's the thing. If you want your kids' hearts to be changed by God, your heart needs to be changed by God first. If you, if you are rocked by a passage of Scripture, if you're wearing conviction from the Holy Spirit, if you're you know, seeing these great truths, this life-changing view of God's glory, that's going to be clear to your family. And if you're not, that's going to be clear to your family too. You want your kids' lives to be changed. You first. Soak in the text. Meditate on the text. Luke 6 says, no student is above his teacher. There's other things afoot in that passage, but there's implications. They're going to study like you study, and often they'll study like you teach. So, we read in the Scripture, we go slow, we take the meaning, we see what it says, just do that out loud. Do that with your family, and man, it'll change everything. If you've never done that with your family, it's all right. You can start now, and it might start with an apology, but what a great weekend to start that. You know what I'm saying? Hey, y'all, let's come in the living room. Hey, all right, so I went to this weekend, this weekend, man, they were really talking about the Lord. They were talking about studying the Bible, and I realized We haven't been doing that as a family. You know whose fault that is? That's mine. I apologize. Here's what I want to do. I want to start. I don't really know how to do this, but we're going to figure it out together. So let's start with the book of... Jump in. Me and my kids, we're studying through the life of David right now. Let's go to 1 Samuel. All right, great. And then we read through that scripture. I've already done the work myself. I've already labored over this text. I've already man had the Lord speak to me about this. And then that night, I open it up. We sit in the living room. I got three kids, 12, 11, and nine. Two girls and a boy and my wife. We all sit in the living room together. We spend, man, half hour. We don't do it absolutely every night because life's crazy, but uh, three nights a week, four nights a week. We sit around the living room. We open the Bible, read through a passage. I take a pause for a couple of teaching times, and I ask questions. Hey, what do y'all think this means? What, what do y'all think this means? What should David have done there, you think? just ask a few questions. Y'all got any other thoughts? Y'all got any other questions? All right, sweet. Who wants to pray for us? You know, it's not hard. You just got to plan to do it. Just like reading the Bible is not hard. Most of us just fail to plan to do it. But unlike reading the Bible, there is a passage that shows us how to lead our families in the scripture. Y'all have heard this passage, Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Y'all understand the context of this verse. I don't have to explain it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. He's teaching them how to teach his sons and the son's son that you may do these commandments by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them so that it may go well with you and you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Listen to this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There's the starting point. These words that I command you will be on your heart. And then, verse 7, then you'll teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down, when you rise up. You see what he's doing? He's given us a template for how to lead our families well. Verse 6, here's how he tells us to do it. These words that I command you shall be on your heart. That's the starting point. For us, our lives and hearts have to be changed by the scripture first. And then verse 7 he says, and then teach them. Turn around and show that get out of the way and teach them diligently to your children. Be faithful. Carve out the time. Y'all know we make time for what's important to us. You we do. Every human gets the same amount of time in one day from the beginning of time, right? So does your schedule reflect your commitment to lead and teach your family? Yes, it does. Your schedule reflects your commitment to lead and teach your family right now. Now, that can change if this is a weak point for for you. Teach them diligently, it says. And here he gives us a kind of template for how to do it. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Now, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but I think there's some principles we can learn. Talk of them when you sit in your house. I think he's talking about formal teaching. Like for me and my family, when we sit in the living room, that's our formal time of Bible study. Everyone open your Bibles. Talk. Uh, let me talk about this while I sit in my house. We literally sit in our living room. We discuss Scripture. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house. That's formal. That means you're going to have to plan some before you formally teach. What are you going to teach? How far are you going to go tonight? But we plan all kind of things. Finances, work projects, hobbies. Do you plan what you're going to teach your kids if you don't have kids what you're going to teach the next generation next things um it's also from verse 7 it just said teach them diligently to your children and then here is, is teaching us how formally talk of them when you sit in your house second thing when you walk by the way what's this talking about i think it's talking about informal types of teaching So there's a formal time when you sit in your house and you diligently teach your kids. And then as you're walking along the way, as you're driving your suburban, as you're going to a basketball game, as you're whatever, as you walk along the way, teach your kids. Seize those opportunities, which means that you have to be meditating on scripture. If your mind's not filled with scripture on a day to day, it's not going to come out your mouth in an informal time when you walk along the way. Formally, when you sit in your house. Informally, when you walk by the way. And then the last one, when you lay down and when you rise. I think this is talking about you should constantly teach. It should constantly be on your mind. It should be today and tonight and today and tonight and today and tonight. It's not just a fad. It's not just a new thing because you go home from a men's conference. This is life. Talk about them formally, informally, and constantly. Y'all, here's the thing. You can do this. Your kid doesn't need John Piper preaching to him at the house. Your your kid needs a dad whose life has been changed by Jesus. They need to see it modeled. They see too much hypocrisy. Really? And to be real, they're going to be able to find better preachers online. Great. Who cares? They're looking for you. They they need a dad who has a connection to Yahweh, who they can see fighting sin, who who they can see struggling. They want to see how this looks like in real life. They want to feel it and hear it and see it. They need to come downstairs and catch you studying the Bible. They need to hear it when you walk along the way. They need to feel the conviction in your voice when you speak to them. They need to hear you say, man, I screwed that up. The Spirit's going to use that. When we're teaching our kids, man, we're not talking just information retention. We're not talking about behavior modification. We're looking for heart change, and that's something the Spirit alone can do, but He can use you to do it. But generally, you won't be able to speak deeply to hearts if your heart hasn't been spoken to first. Good family study is the work of the Spirit, first in you and then through you. Let me close with this. Because I think these principles hold true even if you're out of the family phase. Are you investing in the next generation? I'm going to pause, and we're going to spend five minutes, and then we're done. Let me pause and go back. Brody talked this morning about Assyria and Babylon, the difference between those two nations. There's a story. It's a fascinating story about the king Hezekiah. Y'all remember this guy? He's the king around the time that Assyria rises up. Assyria is the bloodthirsty nation. They're piling up heads at their gates. And they come to Israel's gates to King Hezekiah. And he leads in one of the most difficult times to be king. And basically this guy named Rob Shaka, which is a fantastic name, he comes to Israel, Israel's gates and basically just starts screaming at the men. And he says, hey, listen. He says it in their language. He's like, y'all remember Egypt. Their gods couldn't save them. Y'all remember this nation? Their gods couldn't save them. And your God is not going to be able to save you. And Hezekiah's men come out and say, Shh, don't say it in that language. We understand your language. Don't say it where all the men can hear. And Rob Shaka says, These men need to hear. They're the ones who are going to be drinking their own piss when we surround their city and cut off all of their supplies. And he says, We're going to destroy all of you, and Yahweh can do nothing. And to his credit... Hezekiah goes back, and he, he stands strong in front of the king of Assyria, goes back and falls before Yahweh and prays for deliverance. And you know what the Lord does? That night destroys 185,000 Assyrians in one night with an angel. It's fantastic. Well, then what happens next is Hezekiah gets real sick. He's about to the point of death, and Isaiah the prophet is talking to Hezekiah the king, and he comes to him, and Hezekiah's like, oh man, I'm sick, and he goes and does the exact same thing he did when Rob Shaka came to his gates. He goes and prays that Yahweh would spare his life, and Isaiah comes back and says, Yahweh's granted your request. He's given you 15 more years of life. Fantastic. All right, here's where the story takes a weird turn. So then the king of or Babylon sends like some messengers to Hezekiah, basically to congratulate him on like, good job getting well. Like, we heard you were sick, and now you're well. But really what's going on is, The kings are warned against making alliances. Like, don't make an alliance with Babylon to protect you from Assyria. Trust Yahweh. So we think that's kind of what's going on. Commentators think that. Basically, what Hezekiah does, he's like, hey, Babylon, what's up, guys? Hey, and they're like, hey, heard you're sick, man, but you're well now. Man, that's great. And Hezekiah's like, let me show you around the place. Shows him the treasury. This stuff could be yours one day, you know. If we kind of get a little partnership going on, shows him the temple, shows him everything. Basically, he the Babylon leaves, and Isaiah's like, "Hey, yo, what what'd you just do?" And he's like, "I was just, I just showing him Babylon around." He said, "What'd you show him?" He said, "I showed him everything." And Isaiah basically says, "Then they're gonna take everything. They're gonna destroy you, and your son, your sons are gonna be eunuchs. They're gonna be carried away." Listen, listen to these verses. All right, I want to read Second Kings. And then this is this is the close, believe it or not. But Second uh, Kings, real quick, real quick, we're going to be in verse in chapter twenty. Look at what Isaiah says. Second Kings, chapter twenty, starting in verse sixteen. Let's we'll start in verse fifteen. He said, Isaiah said, "What have they seen in your house?" Hezekiah answered, "They've seen all this in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses I didn't show to them." Verse sixteen. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, "Hear the word of the Lord." Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Listen, and some of your own sons who will be born to you, they'll be taken away. They'll be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. What should Hezekiah's response be? Listen what he says. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. For he thought, why not if there be peace and security in my day? Whoa. Peace and security in my day? What? Hezekiah, most of his life is great. I mean, he he reforms the priesthood, he reinstates the Passover, he reinstitutes temple worship. But he's remembered as a failure because he ignores the next generation. And yeah, and he might want to be partnering with Babylon. It's all right, I'll be dead by then. Man. He, he thinks maybe that he's finishing well, but part of finishing well for us men is investing in the next generation. It's not, oh, there's peace in my day. We're good. Last verse. And a contrast. Second Timothy. 2, two. Second Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2. This is Paul. He's writing to his son in the faith. Timothy. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That verse doesn't sound like much until you think about it. Paul is talking to his son in the faith, and he says, what you've heard, my son in the faith, entrust to faithful men, my grandsons in the faith, who will be able to teach others also, my great-grandsons in the faith. Fellows, that could be us. A legacy of godliness, and you could be that Patriarch. You could be the one investing in sons who invest in sons who invest in sons, even if they're not biological, your own. Paul and Timothy, that was not a biological son, that was a son in the faith. Are we finishing well by investing in the next generation? It starts at your desk, it starts in your living room, it starts with your kids, but it lasts for eternity. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.